0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the MapRound Show. This is the Built in Texas series, and you know what's going on. This is about Texas and amazing founders doing amazing things. With me on the line is Ian and Niklaus. Yes, after Jack, Niklaus. <laughs> the co-founders of Control Golf. Welcome, gentlemen.
1: Howdy, man. Thank you for having us. I Pleasure agree. to be here.
0: No, the pleasure is all mine, man. Um, so um, I always ask our our, uh, our guests, there's obviously two of you here, so tag team this one for me. <laughs> but maybe uh, Ian Singh is uh, up on screen for uh, for everybody. How did you guys meet? Because it seems to me like this was an interesting connection that you guys made to create or found this company.
1: Yeah, you bet. Uh, and you'll have to tell me when to stop talking because it's it's a story and I love telling it. Um, so originally, Control and I know we'll dive into it uh, was started by me over at Texas A&M University. It was a really big deal to try and find a home for this new technology rather than force the technology into a home. And so they taught us, you know, customer interview after customer interview after customer interview. They're only like seven minutes. Uh, a buddy of mine said, "Hey, I live with a PGA pro. Why don't you go talk to him?" And that turns out to be Nick. I went. I sat down with the guy. And instead of seven, seven and a half minutes, we talked for two hours straight before I had to leave and go to class. Hmm. And I had it all recorded. And uh, it really was, it was kind of a genesis. I called up my buddy, we were looking at weightlifting for this technology instead of golf. I called him up. I said, I I recorded my conversation with Nick. I've got the two hours, you need to listen to it. And I really don't care what you say. We're we're jumping into golf. He listened to it. He called back. He said, yeah, golf is the home. We need to hire Nick. (laughs) And so Nick came on and we just... We kind of founded the company, I want to say six months after that, but uh it was just the right meeting and Nick coming in and saying, man this is a, this is a real need. Let's figure out how we can do this together and he was just super excited and I love the energy he brought
0: mm-hmm. so Nick, um what's the who's doing what at control golf? We'll get into what it is and how it all works and the size of the problem and all that kind of stuff, but like who's thinking about what inside the startup?
2: Yeah, so that's a uh, really good question. Um, Being a startup, we wear a lot of different hats. And so, you know, Ian is our uh, CEO. He kind of leads us, focuses a lot on the investment front and uh, just the overall product and uh, getting us linked up from the business team, marketing, sales to the product team, you know, product development. So uh, I'm all in on marketing and sales. Uh, I live in, uh, Google analytics and Facebook marketing, uh, as well as, you know, the sales side, uh, and business development, uh, creating partnerships, going out, finding people that want to, uh, work with us because they love the product as much as we do. Uh, and then we have a couple other guys that just do incredible work, uh, you know, data science, uh, computer science guys, um, Couple mechanical engineers, so a pretty big team, and everybody is in here, you know, been here for a few years now, loves the product, loves the team, and loves what they do.
0: Cool, guys. So thank you for the intro. So um, Ian, let's, uh, let's get back to you here. So what's the problem here? Because when I was chatting to Nick about this, he was saying, uh, you know, everybody has a unique swing. The issue is that nobody knows what it is, <laughs> which, may, which may explain why I have the world's best slice. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so like, what's the issue here? Like, what, what's the problem that you guys are resolving?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'll say you nailed it right on the head. It's everything out there right now, you know, barring just visiting a coach is not customized to the user. So we're asking that you, me, Nick, we all swing the same way. And if you look at even just the, if you look at the tour players, they don't swing the same. And in fact, they're known for having crazy different swings that no one can even emulate. And then you go down to the amateurs. There's not a single person out there that has the same swing. Yet everyone wants to swing like tiger. and I'm not saying that doesn't sound cool, uh, but I can say that it's not gonna result in a better game for you, right? We're all gonna have different experiences with that, and that's what we're trying to solve here
0: okay so um so how does it actually work like Uh, well mate wait hold on hold on let me go back a step how big is this problem like uh, maybe let's talk about what's going on in the golf sector at the moment or industry is it growing is it declining we're coming out of a pandemic we were all locked in homes i would i would guess that it's growing
2: yeah so actually the uh golf was super interesting uh largest boom we've probably ever seen it's between this and tiger woods being popularized, um, as to, uh, golf's biggest growth. So, uh, golf grew astronomically with the pandemic because it was one of the activities that you could actually go outside and do from the lock-in. So people were still going out and playing golf and getting out in the nature. And so a lot of people found a love from that. On the other side, you have also have the emergence of Topgolf, which has gotten thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of people trying golf for the first time in a lot less time-consuming and very fun manner, even for brand-new people who have never held a club before. So we're at a point where you know, golf and technology is booming, and more and more new people are coming into the game every single day. But nobody knows how to get better. Golf is the hardest sport out there. You know, you can you can bring me arguments to other sports, and I'm gonna argue with you all day because it's golf, right? Golf's the hardest sport there is. Um, you know, par is what everybody is trying to shoot. That's the goal, right? Shoot even par for 36 or for 18 holes, as many as possible, right? And so, uh, 36 on nine, 72 on 18 holes. The amount of people that can actually do it is uh, close to 1%. So, of golfers out there, so hundreds, and thousands, millions of golfers can't get to par. So, it's a massive problem. And what we're trying to do is make golf more fun, go a little faster because you're not looking for your ball the whole time, and making good contacts so that you want to keep coming back. You know, with golf, you have that one shot that you hit you're frustrated all day sometimes, you're not playing good, then you'll hit that one shot. It's like, okay, I'll be back tomorrow. Let's go. <laughs> so completely changes just hitting that one good shot. And so we're trying to take that so that you do that You know, once every couple rounds to once every round to 10, 15 times every single round so that you're enjoying golf more and you're getting better faster because nobody really has the time to go out and spend – five hours a week practicing to get good. Instead, we're saying, okay, well, hey, just take swings in your garage for a couple hours uh, each week, and you're going to drop scores like it's nobody's business.
0: Well, um, I'm in. (laughs) Like, it's legit. Like, my father in law actually plays a lot of golf, and I always ask him, you know, like, so how, because he plays like every Thursday. And I always say to him, you know, like, so how did it go? And it's usually like the Saturday. And depending on like how he played, he doesn't want to talk about it at all. (laughs) Or he's feeling like, yeah, yeah, like I can really like improve my game. Because obviously, you know if you are able to actually improve it like the whole experience of it like your your passion for it your interest in it uh, obviously all those things go in in the kind of positive uplift don't they and then obviously that drives consumption of products and and you know fees green fees and all the various things that drive the business of golf um ian just to bring you back into the conversation for a moment um what's the dollar value on the opportunity would you say i mean i know there's a there's millions of golfers but what have you done any research to figure out like what is the opportunity that uh, control golf is going after
1: yeah you bet um i mean in golf alone i mean we're talking just under a billion dollars you know it's a massive industry and i think a lot of people they all think about oh golf and it's it's a rich people's sport and it's you know it's big but i don't think people really understand just how big golf is you know um, there's in America alone, you're talking over 30 million golfers, right? And that grew, uh, if you're counting just first rounds, first rounds in the pandemic that grew by 20 million, uh, on top of that. So that's old numbers. It's just really, 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 really exploding. And even equipment is, I think golf equipment alone, not just the training spaces upwards of an $8 billion opportunity. It's massive.
0: Hmm, amazing um so let's talk about how you actually now are going to secure (laughs) like a piece of that pie right uh so let's talk about how your product actually works um so either one of you guys can can lead on this one but what have you guys actually built like what is the technology how does it work walk us through all of that yeah
1: i'll go ahead and i'll take the lead and then nick can uh jump in when we get to the, the feedback and how we actually help but i'll just Give a quick explanation of the hardware. So the first thing first is if you're imagining and if you're listening to just the audio on this, uh, a compression sleeve that you see, you know, a basketball player or really any athlete at this point, any sport, you're going to see them wear a compression sleeve on one of the arms or at least both or maybe both. Uh, We've taken that exact concept, tried to make it as simple as possible. You just slide on the sleeve. And then we've got two motion sensors that we've developed. They're very lightweight. They're just small little plastic housings. They're waterproof. Um, and they magnetize to the sleeve. So all you do is you pop them straight onto your sleeve. Uh, They go on both the back of your hand and they go on your tricep. And then with that, we're able to watch what's happening in your lead arm as you're taking a swing. So the steps here are slide on the sleeve, pop in the sensors, connect them to your phone and you're off to the races running. Uh, And that kind of covers the hardware. We tried to make it as simple as possible, as easy as possible, so that you can use it quite literally anywhere. We don't even require that you hit a ball. Um, You could be in your garage. You could be on a simulator. You could be out on the range. You could be on the course if you want to, uh, all working to improve your game with the data that we're gathering. And Nick, I'll let you jump into how that really matters since you're the PGA guy here.
2: Yeah, so uh, the first thing that we really focus on is finding out what your ideal swing is because as we spoke of earlier, everybody has their own unique ideal swing. So, the first thing that we do is we focus on finding that. So, you have to build a baseline model. So, you got to go out, you got to hit golf balls, and you're going to tell our app good or bad. After 10 good swings, the app learns what works best for you. It learns that ideal swing and starts giving you feedback. Okay. So, the feedback is going to be based on your tempo ratio, your back swing timing, down swing timing, club face, and club path, right? The most important of those is, without a doubt, tempo. Any pro golfer you look at, the best players in the world, they all have different tempos, one from the other. So they're all unique. But every time they hit a golf ball, their tempo is the exact same, you know, for that individual golfer. So Hayden Springer has the exact same tempo, right? Uh, Dustin Johnson has the exact same tempo every single time he hits the ball, but it's different from Hayden Springer. So you'll see a wide variety of tempos, you know, that backswing timing and downswing timing, and then the ratio as well, variety, thousands, hundreds of thousands of unique tempos, right? And no one actually works for every single person. You know, we all have different... Uh, tendencies, we all have different body types, we all have different injuries that we're getting over that we've gone through. Uh, so everybody's body is a little bit different. And so that's where that unique ideal comes into play. So tempo, if you can get your tempo to be the exact same every single time, you're going to hit the ball like a PGA pro. Uh, there, there's just you know nothing else to it. The other stuff, you know, having club face and club path, that's going to help you a lot to know where the ball is going to end up. And if you know where it's going to end up every single time, you're going to play a lot better golf, right? If you can say, yeah, I know it's going to land, you know, 10 feet right of where I'm aiming and, uh, you know, exactly how far every single time, that's all golf is, right? Just play your myth, play to it, and you're going to be a much better golfer. So we've seen guys just take this into their garage, take swings, get their tempo down and drop, you know, from, okay, I can't break 130 to I broke 100 the other day and I did it again, you know, today. So I'm now breaking 100. I'm a much better golfer and golf is much more enjoyable.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, what's the technology based on? Is there, There's obviously sensors on the wrists. Uh, there's sensors behind the tricep and then it's on a sleeve um so besides the sensors like what makes this accurate because i think obviously the technology has to be accurate in order for (laughs) like the swing to actually improve right yeah uh happy
1: to hop in here so i mean first and foremost you know it's it's the actual hardware that's behind it so we've got six axes accelerometers and gyroscopes in there we've got you know on both the wrist and the shoulder so that we get rid of the tricep so that we can make sure that all the data that we're getting is very clean and it's very accurate to what you're doing. Uh, but then what we've done is we've actually gone a, f- a step farther. So, you know, not to dive too deep into it. And I'm, I'm the tech guy here, so I, I get really excited about this. Uh, I'll try to stay high level. Uh, most of these chips that you you bring in, um, they come with their own algorithms that are pre-made and they tell you the angles that they're reading. But those are not appropriate for golf. They don't sample fast enough. And they're not accurate enough for a motion that is as fast as a golf swing. I mean, you're talking about a golf swing being less than, in some cases, less than like half a second uh, if you're really fast. So what we've done is we've actually taken it, worked with the chip manufacturers and made it so that we're just reading the raw data. We're reading it as fast as we possibly can. I'm talking, you know, upwards of 400 to 500 readings per second as we go forward. And then we hired on. And I'm really glad we did. Uh, we hired on a a PhD candidate to come in and make sure that uh, we were actually building everything right off of those algorithms. Because they're very complex. You know, these are the same chips that are in your cars, that are in your Teslas, that are in uh, your Apple smartwatch, any of those things. It's a very complex algorithms that you're doing to try and merge this data together. So we got that guy. And then also uh, we worked with one of the or the top motion algorithm developers, uh, Politecnico di Torino, which is over in Italy. Um, they're an institution that specializes particularly in using these sensors for fast motions like tennis or any other sport. So we've gone above and beyond and spent literally years. I mean, it took us three years to develop these algorithms in order to make sure that what we are giving back to you was the right timing and as accurate as we could possibly make it and be you know, essentially top of market right now.
0: Mm -hmm. so um what are the kind of results that you guys are seeing like i know on your on your homepage of your website you mentioned that um you know with just two hours a week you could drop more strokes in less time or whatever but what how many strokes are golfers actually dropping on average as an example
1: uh so i won't give you an average because it's going to be skewed towards those that are are worse right so those guys that are shooting in the 130s that are they're really really high they're dropping more than the the guys that are chasing one or two strokes, you know, as a pro, right? Um, so we've had people like Nick just brought up. Uh, we had a man that all he did was just practice in his garage, take swings and try and work on his time. And he dropped from 130 to hundred. We've also had others come in that have been on the lower side. And Nick can speak more to this. We've had people reach out to us and give us calls and say, Hey, I normally shoot, you know, 85, But now I've dropped to an 82 and I did it three times in a row and I did it for my member guest and I won. And I've never done that before in my life. Uh, It has been just an incredible response. And a lot of that credit I really do just want to put out there into, you know, how much co-development has gone on here. One of the things that we did is. We didn't just develop this in an office and say, "Okay, well, I hope it works or it works for the team. The entire time, even when we've only had just a few prototypes, we've been bringing people in or we've been handing out units for periods of time so that they could go out, try it and make sure that what we're giving them actually matters to them, that they can interpret it and that they will get more consistent over time.
0: So um, question that I'm curious to ask, uh, and maybe there is an answer to it, or, but it was just, I'm picking up something that you said up front um, about, you know, you, you chose golf, like you developed the technology, but you actually chose golf as the use case for it. What are the, um, as from a pure technology platform perspective, what would you say um, are other applications for it?
1: Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I've got too many for you. So I'll limit myself. But I mean, realistically, any motion that needs to be repeated, we can help with. Uh, There's, you know, we first started looking at virtual reality, how can we track your arms during that, then we moved our way into weightlifting, had a lot of traction there. Because when you think about it, when you're well, first off, when you I don't know anyone that has not been injured while weightlifting pretty common. uh, And it comes from, you know, a variety of things. But Poor form is certainly one of them. When you're looking in a mirror, everything is 2D. And so you still don't have depth. When you are just benching, you can't see your actual form. So you're just going off of feeling. And so we were really there as can be there as a form checker. Um, We've had people come up to us and say, This is super cool. Could you do it for swimming? Because right now, all we have is cameras and headphones. And we would love to have something that was in there and giving us that real time feedback as we were moving. You know, if it's bowling, baseball, tennis, uh even down to PT where people need, you know, a little more accountability or a little more help with their exercises when they're not there with their physical therapist and they're at home and doing, you know, whatever exercise they need to do. All of those are very real potential applications for this and we've built this with, you know, this with that in mind. Golf is absolutely a proving ground for us. It's my number one passion. It's where we want to start, but it's where we're proving the technology and then we've built it with uh being able to handle seven sensors. So right now we're just two. We're making sure that we help in this area and that all our al- all of our algorithms and our motion accuracy is really good. And then from there we can just expand, you know, as fast as we can uh, into other fields and other sports.
0: So this is obviously a B2C play I would imagine or is there a B2B strategy here also?
1: Uh I'll let Nick handle the B2B side. I'll say that the vast majority is B2C. You know, we kind of view, uh, especially golf, we view it as this pyramid, right? You've got all of the general amateur golfers, and then you start to move your way up as you get more into the pros and as you get more into the coaches. And we feel like the solutions for the coaches and the upper echelon pros, those exist. They're ones that are much more complex. You know, you put some radars behind your ball, et cetera, um, and they give you 200 different numbers. Uh, what we've designed here has been very specific to grab the bottom of that pyramid mm-hmm. and turn those numbers into instructions, try and make it as simple as possible. Um, and that's not overwhelm the user because we don't expect them to have that knowledge. That being said, there is, of course, B2B and we are starting to work with coaches. So, Nick, if you want to talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so uh, right now B two B wise, you know, there's a couple different avenues that you can go down. You have your big box retailers, your Golf Galaxies, your PGA Superstores. Uh, you've got places like Top Golf that you know use technology to help people get better, uh, and you know, of course, we can go and work with those guys, and our technology can go in flawlessly with what they're doing. Right. Um, And then you have coaches, and that's the main B2B that we're focusing on right now. And so, right now, we're running a couple of different uh, coaching tests. So, we have our base product here it is, here's what it does. It helps people with tempo and consistency. And you can teach somebody a lesson and you can tap, you know, good. So, the coach chooses and decides what their good swing is. So, they take a swing, the coach is going to get to decide that is what I want to see, that is not what I want to see, right? Uh, And so we're running tests with uh, a few current coaches um, in order to see what else they would want to see. And so, um, you know, a couple of things that they've asked for just early in the test is, um, you know, a web platform or somewhere that they can go in and examine all of their students and see what they've spent time working on, what they're spending time doing, and then being able to say, Hey, uh, I told you to work on this, and you aren't working on this. You're probably not ready for this week's lesson. Let's, uh, you know, I, I don't want you to come back and repeat the same lesson. You're not going to get any better. So, you got to go focus on the lesson that I gave you. That's one of the biggest uh, pain points of coaching is I send out a student and I say, Hey, this is the drill you're doing. This is how many times you need to do it. This is why you need to do it. And then they come back in two weeks and say, hey, I found this really cool thing on YouTube. I I was working on that. And it's like, oh, my gosh, that's the exact opposite of what I wanted you to work on. And that doesn't apply at all to your swing. What are you doing? So, you know, then I got to restart and they make no progress. And if they're not making any progress with me as a coach, they're not going to come back right so uh one of the biggest pain points is actually doing what the coach has instructed you to do and that's something we can help with a lot
0: so basically golfers are like children (laughs) they're never doing
2: what you tell them to do
0: always
1: chasing chasing the next big shiny thing for sure
2: (laughs) well i don't i don't know how much like golf instagram and tiktok you watch but a variety of it is trick shots. So with a golfers at the golf course working on filming a really cool trick shot, yeah, that was really cool. You just wasted three hours that you could have been practicing. So what are we doing here, guys?
0: Yeah, exactly. That's very good. So look, so this thing, I've got your website up for everyone. So it costs $350. So, I mean, that's not even breaking the bank if you consider what you would spend, you know what I mean, on green fees. A year, or golf clubs, or even shoes. <laughs> you know what I mean. So if are gonna, so it's priced really well. I mean, I'm curious. I'm assuming this whole thing is built and made in, in America. Stay with us. We'll be right back. all the knowledge capital that's been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show and you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers.
1: Uh, certainly designed in America. That being said, we've built everything in China and, uh, we were really lucky in that aspect. We love our relationship over there. And it's because one of our co-founders actually is Chinese. Um, he's born and raised in the manufacturing industry over there, met him in college. Uh, and then during the pandemic, just by chance, he ended up going back over there to work. And he was like, Hey, I know some really good people that are going to produce something really, really good for you. So We've been working with them to get this out there.
0: And any issues with supply chain? I know COVID is a thing. I have to oh, ask because
1: I've got stories for you. So uh, in November of 2020, we're talking. I'll I'll call it mid-pandemic at this point. I don't know if that's you know the most accurate statement. Uh, November 2020 is when we first decided to go for sale. So we felt that we had developed and we were in a good position. We launched an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. We sold just over 630 of these in 30 days. And we were psyched. I mean, that was, you know, more than double our projections. We're like, wow, people really identifying with the message and the mission here. Um, One week after the campaign closes, I get a call and it's from our manufacturers. They're like, hey, supply chain starting to tighten up. Watch out. Okay, sure. Three days later, they give me a call and they're like, there is no supply chain. You're not getting anything. Best of luck. We'll let you know when something can happen uh and so you know talking about global supply chain shortages we dealt with that for over a year and a half um we just delivered or just got our first inventory to give to those backers this last april may uh it took us quite a while you know we didn't sit on our laurels we kind of went into a low power mode and made sure that we were just with the prototypes we had just constantly improving we actually ended up delivering more features than we had originally promised because we had the up they had been afforded the time uh but we have certainly had our fair share of supply chain problems as we've gone forward.
0: is that I mean is it does it make sense to manual I mean like why I get the founder you know connection and so forth but if it's senses and you've kind of built the the technology stack if you like, do you feel that to circumvent that operational risk you know like who knows like shit happens that it, it, it does it make sense at some point to manufacture locally?
1: Um, so at the risk of, of not being PC, I'm going to say no. For us and with this technology that we've built, uh, there's really two main reasons. One is our manufacturer, we have less than a 0.01% failure rate. It's just been incredibly reliable, and I can't believe it. The other piece is we had our prototypes before we went into you know mass commercial manufacturing. We had our prototypes built here in the U.S., and they were... I want to say three different manufacturers that we tried, and every single one of them, uh, it was, I'll say it wasn't a pleasant experience. Uh, I don't want to go too into detail, but I'll say, you know, we didn't get what we wanted. The reliability was incredibly low. It just it has not even come close to what we've been able to produce with our relationships over there.
0: Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I mean, if that's the way it is. That's the way it is. I'm curious to um, talk about scaling up. Like, how do you scale something like this? You have a manufacturing partner in China. Obviously, there's there's cash. I'm going to you know produce this amount of SKUs or product units, and then I'm going to distribute it like this. You know what I mean? And then is it kind of like you, it's a lift, produce you know ship, deploy, lift, is that what it is that what it looks like? And so from it because I'm asking from an investor perspective, a lot of investors listen to the show. Um, how do you, I mean, like, you know, like, how are you planning on scaling this? Is this kind of like, you know, because consumer, direct-to-consumer, personally, my experience takes a lot of money because you're going direct-to-consumer. So you have to, you know, you have to really um, reach them. You have to reach golfers. There's 30 million just in the U.S. it cost money. Um, or you need to have like a, a strategic partner who has these relationships already and you can put your product into stores do you know what i mean like you give them yeah. like a, a discount on the margin or whatever or the price so how do you scale so, something i like mean this?
1: effectively you just named it um <laughs> we we started certainly you know wanted to we know that golf is incredibly word of mouth heavy right it's one of those industries that more than any other i've ever experienced hey, is get someone to try it may you know have them fall in love with it and then they'll start sharing it out Um, you're absolutely right. It's incredibly expensive to get in front of people, especially as a new brand, especially as, you know, direct to consumer. And so as it stands now, of course, it is exactly the lift process that you just described where we would like to go. And what we're starting to build relationships for is, you know, along those lines of retailers and getting in front of, you know, once we have the word of mouth and bringing things in, much more organically over time. Moving things in bulk is and you know, just for the entrepreneurs out there and for the investors is absolutely ideal for us because what you can do is you can can change the order of the one, two, three that you just said, and you can kind of slot in the cash, you know, before the manufacturing or, um, you know, I guess you could do that or you could even just have the manufacturing be just completely paid for up until that point. Uh, As a hardware company, that's one of the things that you're always going to face, and uh, but also, you know, on the flip side, the advantage of being the hardware company is that we've we're the ones that have set up that supply chain. Not a lot of people can come in and and do that, uh, especially in a short period of time. So, like, we've done all the heavy lifting. Now it's just about getting the distribution channels out there, getting our name out there, and then uh, the scaling will come with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Does so? I'm just curious now because we, yeah, <laughs> but for my information, uh, is does it make sense? if someone is, let's just say, and I'm asking for other founders here. So I know quite a few actually are doing hard, hard hardware. Yeah. It's not even like hard software or hard science, you know, it's like, it's hard hardware and hardware is just hard. Um, And so if you're trying to scale something like this, do do you, does it make sense from your experience or from your point of view to ever give your manufacturing partner an equity share in your startup so that you get continuity of production you know what I'm saying? Like, because if your production stops, or maybe preference, like I have other things, other, you know, other things I'm manufacturing, you know, I know you need, it's like Nike, right? Like they, they had a very yeah. specific partner and they incentivized them from a production perspective so that they could uh, ultimately put more shoes on shelves.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's a really interesting question. So, does it ever make sense? I'll say yes, it can. Absolutely. Like, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, The one thing that you got to think about with equity, you know, is a investing schedule. So like, be careful there, but be like, you want to use it as strategically as possible to open more doors for you. And if it takes that to get preference with these guys, and you know that the manufacturer is great, and it's going to work out for you, then I wouldn't ever, you know, take it off the table. We're in a unique position here where I get to say that we haven't done that just because we have the personal connection and we have the man on the ground over there. Uh, to make sure that we are always top of queue with them and that they like us and that we have a really strong relationship. But, um, you know, when we're talking about manufacturing, we're talking about hardware and how hard, really hard hardware is, uh, you want to have, and you need to have an amazing relationship with your manufacturer, if not two or three, uh, it's just the nature of the beast where someone can come in and throw a lot of money and now they're priority. And I get it. Like you're running a business. Okay, fine. Um, but if you if you got to hand out you know, just a little bit of equity to make sure that you're going to be able to secure that spot at all times and you're always in a great relationship with them, I couldn't say that that's a bad move.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you in a raise now? We're not in a raise right
1: now. We're thinking probably within the next three or four months or so. Uh, one of the things that we really want to do is just kind of hunker down and capitalize on this holiday season. It's going to be the first holiday season that we've ever gone through. So that's all focus, all eyes are there. And then, of course... As we go through the holiday season, it's only going to make us, you know, give us an even stronger story as we go into the new year and we start considering a raise.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it seems to me like, well, all startups are in a raise. (laughs) (laughs) They're in denial this quarter.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's, I think that's very fair. I'm always talking to investors. I can say that much, always talking to investors, always happy to learn what's going on in the industry, share our story, you know, and, and start building those relationships. I just am not always taking their money.
0: No, exactly. Well, oftentimes I find you—you know—you define yourself by saying no, or you define yourself by saying no to the things that you know you could say yes to, rather than defining yourself by saying yes. You know what I mean? Uh, Absolutely. It, and it's—it's it's a frustrating thing, right? Because you're a startup, and so you—you want to say yes to everything because it's like, oh, it's a partnership. I got to then, you know what I mean, like a manufacturing thing. And I got to yes to an investor because you know ah, I got to get there. I got to get scale. I got to get to like product market fits and what have you. Um and most startups are starving on indigestion, you know what yeah. I mean? Like they can't actually handle
1: all of that. Absolutely, I think that's you know that's always going to be the case. And and I'm really glad you brought that up because one of the things that we've learned, and I like to say, you know, we got our our MBAs through the school of hard knocks over here, uh, is the the appreciation of focus. Right? We're kind of always opening doors and always having conversations, and and it's not to waste anybody's time. It's so that we're always informed and we can you know, when we move and shift our focus into that space, we're able to hit the ground running. But as we go day to day, we're always honed in on exactly what we need to be doing. And we kind of, you know, push out the rest of that noise because there's so much happening. I mean, if you think about even just running a website uh, or, you know, you you running this show, there's 1900 different things that you could be doing to get more people on it or more people listening or anything like that. You've got to think about, Okay, what's, what's the focus for, you know, this week, this month, this next quarter? Uh, what are we going to do and what are we not going to do? Which is the hardest thing to say when you say, no, we're taking that one off the board. We're not working on that right now. We'll get to it.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, and it's an art, right? It really is an art. Um, so I'd love to have a bit of fun with both of you. So so I'm going to give you the keys uh, to the Matt Brown Show time machine and, and ask you to go back to day one when you were like, hey, let's do this for golf. And if you could go back to yourself, uh, and give, uh, you know, yourself one piece of advice about building control, uh, golf, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Uh, I'll go first. Uh, that piece would be patience. I think, you know, we took, or I took, and again, we're going back, by the way, we're going back to twenty twenty year old Ian, 21 year old Ian, um, man the first thing I thought was, wow, we're bringing tech to golf. And with that attitude, I think we've brought in a lot of good things from the tech industry. Uh, But like realistically, we're very hardware focused right now. Right. And we were going to be for the next call it four or five years. Um, And so the number one thing I'd say is, Hey, guess what? Hardware is slow. It takes a lot of time to develop this. It takes a lot of time to put together a supply chain. It takes a lot of time to even get yourself into a position and into market where you can start iterating fast on the software and, I think the expectation that I came into as just the young kid was, all right, give us two years. We're going to be out there and we're going to be dominating this market. It's like, no, no, no. You're going to still be developing the prototypes in two years. We'll see about four years from now.
0: Yeah, true. And
2: Nick? That's probably develop a lot uh, better grasp and open marketing channels earlier um you know we uh didn't build a big big marketing uh spend and understanding until we were knocking on the door and hey it's time to go out and actually market the product and you know we've learned a lot of hard lessons in that um i have learned a lot of hard lessons In that, and so I guess um, you know patience is a good one there, and just having a better understanding of e-commerce and uh, the difficulty that it uh, brings to the company and advertising.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's it is a it is a process. That's why they say you know it takes fifteen years to become an overnight success. Um, and I think, by the way, I think this is actually why a lot of startups fail is because they, you know, at first, especially first-time founders or youngins, as I like to call them, you know, when they're in their 20s, if you tell a founder that he can walk on water, he'll probably believe you. Uh, I know I was that guy.
1: <laughs> um, I'm 100% with you.
0: 100%. You know what I mean? 100%. And, oh, yeah. and then they're like, oh, shit, this is actually a lot harder than I ever anticipated. And then they're like, fuck it, I'm out. You know, and they run out yeah. of money and passion and everything dies. Um, and that's a sad thing. Um, but I'd love to maybe stick with you, Nick, for a moment, just on the marketing side. you know, if I think about Nike and these big tight list and these brands, it's like this this the role of influencers, right, in in your go-to-market strategy is has to be something that you're considering. I would imagine like if, you know, if you mean your champagne problem would be Tiger Woods wearing your sleeve and having a video of him swinging a club, like that would be something that would seriously drive sales. Wouldn't it?
2: Potentially. Uh, (laughs) I I think the name Tiger Woods absolutely would drive sales. Uh, what we've kind of seen in some of our competitors that are going out and getting big name PGA guys is that it's not really influencing their sales. So, you know, um, not to name names or shovel, you know, crap onto people, but one of our, you know, competitors has Bryson DeChambeau on board you think, wow, he's one of the biggest names in golf right now. What if we could have had him on board and they haven't really seen an increase in their sales, um, due to having Bryson and a couple of the, you know, companies that we're working with now, uh, we've started building Ian has built a fantastic relationship now within golf where they're more, uh, it's a golf influencer agency. They're superb. They connect you with a lot of great people. So, uh, We got connected with uh, Andrew Jensen and Clubface UK recently. Uh, And those guys are awesome. And their YouTube videos are specifically about doing this in golf, right? Helping people play golf. And so, you know, we're thinking we're going to see sales through them a lot more instead of actually going out and getting like a Bryson DeChambeau on our product, you know, conventional wisdom would say, yes, go get your Deshambo, go get your, you know, Rory McIlroy, whoever, and get them on your brand. And if it was Tiger Woods, I think it might be different. And if I had a chance to work with Tiger Woods, hands down, I'm all in, right? Uh, But, um, you know, this kind of new e-commerce and influencer industry that we're seeing is, Those guys on tour don't move the needle as much as actual influencers themselves that speak to their audience every day. And so I think, you know, that's where uh, our target is going mainly to those influencers, finding those influencers and actually getting them to give us the time of day. You know, we've reached out to hundreds, thousands of influencers like hey you interested and never heard back so you know you kind of got to start what we've learned is you got to start with kind of the lower tier influencers get a little bit of your name out there build a name then you know a next tier then the next tier then you get to the high tier guys
0: yeah that's actually quite an interesting insight isn't it because um if you do you think it's tiger woods because that's where i went you know what i mean like get, go and get me a pro golfer because you know if he's doing it then naturally that's what would drive consumption or behavior that you're looking for or sales as an example um versus say what you're saying nick which is well your competitor tried that didn't you know didn't really can you know for whatever reason like their sales didn't work and then what you're saying is is actually this idea of like the way i actually use the way to re- say with this whole thing is like you have the hero which is your Tiger Woods, you know, Bryson DeChambeau, all these dudes, Rory McIlroy. And then you've got the hub. Right? Now the hub is more like your your influences, the people with the tension of golfers obviously everybody does, but they have like a direct weekly interaction <laughs> with their or daily interaction with their influencers. And then the hygiene is really the golfers themselves, isn't it? And what you're playing is like in this middle of the pyramid and other, or like the jam in the middle of the donut. That's where you feel like your, your go to market leverage would be.
2: Yeah. Uh, I would say that's a fairly good analogy. Um, you know, I, and I think it's because, uh, your influencers, you know, they're in the middle. They're um, they're talking to their audience. They have interaction with their audience. So when they say, "Hey, I use this, go use this," they listen, right? Their audience listens because their audience sees them as their friend, right? Whereas your, you know, Tiger Woods and I, again, I think Tiger Woods would be different because nobody has created a golf boom like Tiger Woods has. Just hands down, nobody's done it like Tiger Woods, except for Jack Nicklaus. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, your Bryson DeChambeau's, your Rory MacRoy's, they can create a little bit of excitement, but every time they say, yeah, I use this product, everybody and their mother knows they're being paid to say that. Do they actually use the product? I don't know, right? Uh, so the influencers just have a lot more word of mouth your friend uses this uh kind of impact than oh hey yeah this pro says he uses it
0: mm, I agree it's like a referral network as opposed to top down so um so ian just to um, a couple more questions guys and then we'll we'll wrap up but um ian what's the Ultimate contribution you hope to make to the world through the application of this technology. Obviously, you guys are in golf at the moment, but you know what's uh, what's the vision for this whole thing?
1: I mean, it, it all comes down to personalization. You know, why does everyone see a coach? Why are coaches so good for everyone? And it's because they adapt. But there's only so many, and there's only so much experience out there. And you know, putting people and I think you're just seeing this. I'm not gonna say it's a renaissance yet. It's on its way. Uh, but you're seeing this movement where people are tired of like what I'll call cookie cutter solutions. And that's across the board. That's not just in golf. That's anywhere that you go, Um, whether it's sports or even just, you know, other applications out there, you don't want to be put into a mold that someone says is the best versus like actually adapt to the person. So, you know, what we're trying to accomplish where we want to go with this thing is, any industry that'll take us that is looking for that personal piece. It's all that matters is that we're giving different feedback to everyone so that it matters to them. And they improve much faster than trying to completely change their motion and blow things up just because, oh, it doesn't know that I have a shoulder injury. It doesn't know that I'm not as flexible as you know other people are. It's just basing everything off of math that says, call it your tempo ratio is a three to one. Uh, maybe mathematically that makes sense, but that's not what works for everyone out there. And you're not going to see that on, you know, hardly anyone. Uh, so really where you want to take it is just, I'd like to see it in every sport possible, of course. And I'd like to see that we, we really start a movement here, whether it's us or we're the Genesis of it, uh, where everybody understands, yeah, this is all being built for me. Everything that it's telling me is for me. And that's going to produce the best results for my body.
0: Incredible. Um, Last question for both of you, but why do you guys do what you do? Like when you wake up in the morning, what gets you out of bed?
1: I have the history of answering first. first? (laughs) Yeah, I figured you'd ask. Um, I do it because it's fun. And, you know, you talked about earlier, you dropped like the 15 year, you know, overnight success, right? Like I I like to think of it like a 10 year overnight success. Everyone is like, Oh man, Netflix changed the world. Tesla changed the world. All these things are happening. And they write, literally write articles like overnight success. And you're like, well, they were founded 10 years ago. They've been grinding this whole time, right? Um, in order to do that, and I see that, I, I understand, you know, this is year five, year six of what we're doing here. It takes a long time. Uh, you're not ever going to make it if it's just discipline. And that's that's just my opinion. Uh, but you've got to have fun every single day. And I'll tell you what's really fun. What's really fun is like having an impact every single day. The flywheel is not spinning. I dictate the work that I'm going to do. It's just not It's not coming in and automatically saying, well, here's your to-do list, just knock it out. It's we sit down every single day. We're all friends. We're all good partners. We are in a team dynamic where it's just an amazing environment to be in. And everything we do has a significant impact on the next day or the next week or the next month. And I love the challenge. I love coming in and just enjoying you know, the day. And I think the moment that the fun goes away... Um, even in the tough times, you can still have fun. The moment that the fun truly goes away is is what you talked about earlier with the the younger founders. They see it go away or they're not looking for fun. They're just looking for results. And when you do that, you're not going to last. You can only do tough things for so long without having a little bit of enjoyment there.
0: Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree with you more, mate.
2: Nick? yeah, I mean, Ian, Ian kind of hit the, you know, Spending every day working with friends, you know. Um, unfortunately, one of our uh, marketing guys, Jake, uh, moved on to Fanatics recently. You know, great company, great opportunity. I love it for him. He's one of my best friends. Ian's one of my best friends, right? So both of those guys were, you know, upstanding with me with at my wedding, right? I got to spend every day working with guys that. Are my best friends. And so, yeah, that's brings a lot of fun to stuff that originally I would never have enjoyed, you know, analyzing marketing numbers, right? Data, marketing data. Never would have thought that I would enjoy that. Never would I have thought that I would have enjoyed, you know, actually going through the marketing strategy, the financial strategy. And You know, I've gotten to do all that and I found that I really enjoy almost the puzzle aspect of, okay, well, how are we going to live? (laughs) Let's find out. Right. (laughs) And then, you know, the other piece of it for me is I love golf. Um, Golf has been my passion since I was 14 years old. Uh, You know, 14 years ago, uh, I started playing golf and the second that I really started, I just fell in love with it. Right. Right. It's something that I can go do with my dad that I used to do with my grandpa. You know, I love playing golf. I love going out, playing with my buddies, having a good round. And, you know, I've gotten pretty good at golf. And I want to share the sport that I'm obsessed with, with the world. And right now, golf is too hard. It's too time consuming and too difficult. So we're trying to make it so much easier for people to pick it up. So much easier and faster for people to get better and enjoy the sport more. And, you know, that's going to grow the game that I love.
0: Mm. Well, um, guys, it's been a great, uh, great show. Thank you for being here. I think uh, you guys have come a long way, especially for like, and with the greatest of respects, like for first time founders doing this thing and having achieved so much, like it really is hard, just FYI. Um, you know trying to building a software as a service play is very different to what you guys are doing so you must you know i'm super proud of you guys and uh, very excited to see like where you guys are going to go so um you know go out there and (laughs) fix that golf swing
1: (laughs) thank you so much matt we really appreciate the time
0: anytime guys thank you cheers everyone yeah have a good one Clients haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an eleven percent share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.